So growing up as a kid, my parents would read a lot of books. Uh, they would always have a book uh, next to their bed. Uh, they would always bring books with them when we went to the beach in the summertime. And the first thing that always drew me in on these novels was the cover art, was the gorgeous cover art. Now, my mom and my dad liked two different genres when I was a kid. My mom was very much into horror. So she would read Stephen King. She would <coughs> read all sorts of horrific, really cool books that had very stark imagery on their uh, covers. I mean, that's where the opening title sequence of Stranger Things comes from, is all those really cool um, horror book covers from the late 80s and the 90s. My dad, on the other hand, he was very much into fantasy. So he was reading Dune, all of the really cool cover artwork on all the Dune books. Also like the sort of Shannara and all the David, was it David Eddings books? Um, and was also reading uh, Isamoff, Isaac Asimov books, uh, the robot series. Um, and so between the two of them, I had two different fascinations. And it's interesting talking about this out loud on the show, because maybe that's kind of where my style comes from. It's this blend of the fantastic and the adventure that comes with sci-fi and horror, right? The creepiness, the incredibly explicit details in murder and like disembowelment and just psychological terror. So it makes all the sense in the world why my movies are the way they are, just based upon the two different types of books on either side of my parents' bed, right? And so I love that kind of shit. I really do. And I find it difficult uh, in my life to actually do the same thing. I find it incredibly difficult in the modern world to read a physical book just because of how much my brain is firing consistently, whether I'm talking about working, recording podcasts, answering emails, answering DMs, like doing all this stuff. I'm getting so much fucking dopamine and I'm getting so much instant dopamine and I'm so hyper-focused on what's coming at me in the next four minutes, right? And so when I hit a point when I go, I'm gonna read something, I have to calm myself down. I calm myself down. I look at the book, I get a bit of dopamine off the cover of that book, and then I open it up and I start to read it. And what I find happens is, as I'm reading something, I start drifting because I haven't given my opportunity, myself the opportunity, to quiet down. And so I start reading and then I go, oh, and I start processing things. And then I, I realize that I've missed half the page that I convinced myself that I read. So then I have to go back and read it again. How many of you listening to the show feel the same way? I feel like this has become a really intense part of being a person in the current age, right? Because our attention spans are so narrowed, so sought after, so manipulated, that when we actually sit down to do something that's off the grid, like read a book, because that's off the grid, right? Our brain goes, oh, I'm off the grid. Well, what happened today? You know what I mean? Well, the way that guy said that to me today, what does that mean? Did I get that shit done today? Like all that stuff starts to run through my head. I find that the only way that I can actually read a physical book is if, I'm, if I go on vacation and I'm off the grid for more than two days. Because then my brain has had enough time to sort of process all that stuff that I should have been thinking about. And now I can get into a book. What I do, the, the hack that I do 
is I'll listen to books now with Audible. And I should reinstate my Audible code so that we can make some money on these reads. Um, but uh, I do listen to the audiobooks now. And I do that when I'm riding a bike. And I find that that hacks that uh, dopamine hit because there's someone reading it to me. Uh, there's an actor performing these things for me. And uh, I stay enthralled and in it. And I just finished uh, the uh, Michael Mann book for Heat 2. Highly recommended. Fucking great book. If you liked the movie Heat, you will love Heat 2. Uh, I really want them to make it into a movie. And I highly recommend the audiobook. The actor is fucking phenomenal. Um, it is a fantastic read. It is a fantastic adventure. Um, and I just finished that. And I'm on sort of this high of like, I need a new book. I need something great. And there was a piece of me that's like, I want to do a horror book. Let's do the opposite. I just did a whole action book. Um, and so I did some digging and I did some hunting. And I stumbled across this book titled, It Waits on the Top Floor. And I was like, What? And so then I saw the cover of the book and it's got this font that is reminiscent of the books from the 80s and 90s. And on this cover, there is what looks like an oil painted building, this red cover and this building, skyscraper building and gripping onto this building is sort of the ghostly figure of Cthulhu. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so then I started to read the log line for it. And it says, Thursday night, it was a dirt lot. Friday morning, it was a 60-story skyscraper. A tech billionaire wants the building's secrets for herself. She hires a team to reverse engineer the overnight construction. Um, and uh, so she sends a team in to do this. Meanwhile, a curious nine-year-old decides that there is a treasure inside and goes exploring. His terrifying dad chases close behind. Inside the facade of an empty office building, uh, the facade of an empty office building is quickly shattered. Ghostly figures walk, are stuck. The explorers, the walls themselves are hungry and something is waiting on the top floor. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So this is my new book. This is the book that I'm listening to right now and uh i was like who who wrote this thing oh this dude named ben farthing well who's ben so i did some research on him and uh was fascinated he's an author of supernatural horror and dark fantasy thrillers uh and he's quote on his website each in each of my books i'm trying to recreate the sense of wonder and dread that i got the first time i saw clive barker's hellraiser okay dude um, or the first time I read Stephen King's The Mist. Okay, dude. And so I sought him out, and he is our guest on today's show. Joining me as well on today's show, as you can hear, is the landscaper. So he's in as well. I don't know if the noise canceling stuff is going to cut him out. I doubt it because it sounds like his, his frequency is right where my voice is today. At some point... I should go. I know so many of you have been asking. I'm going to go out there and try to get him on the show. You know what I mean? Be like, dude, come on the podcast because you've been on the podcast. How many times at this point? Uh, but before we get into today's show, here he comes. It's even closer. You hear him? There are no leaves out there. What are you blowing? 
What are you blowing, dude? Hit the bricks, bro. Okay. Um, before I get into today's show, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod and love with the process pod on Instagram. If you've been following, you will notice all of this really cool promotional material for our brand new podcast called Right Place, Right Time. Yes, we're doing a new show, a new weekly show. Me and my good buddy, Lance Williams. You guys know him from our show. You listen to me and him be incredibly fun and charming together on the Film Quest series that we did. Lance is an actor. He has been an actor in my films. He was just recently uh, nominated actor in Come Home. Uh, him and I made one of my best movies. Um, and uh, I loved hanging out with him so much that uh, I was like, dude, we should do a podcast together. And uh, he finally agreed. And the results are an exciting new show that is all about that saying that we always hear, you got to be at the right place, right time, right? And so we're having guests on the show. We're talking about our own experiences uh, and we want to get to the root of, is it true that you have to be at the right place, right time? And for those of you that find that you are or have been, can you do so multiple times? Is there only one right place, right time for you? And if not, and if it is like a little lightning storm that shows up, can you feel it coming? And can you run out into a field with a lightning rod and get struck again? Like all this stuff is part of the show. And the stories that we've recorded from our guests are fucking fun and crazy. Um, so I know that you guys are going to love it. So make sure you stick around and you're subscribing to In Love With The Process on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And Thursdays, you will get, you will be, in the right place at the right time for the new show. All right. Um, so yeah. So without further ado, I want to introduce you, if you don't know him already, to uh, my new buddy, Ben Farthing. Um, and let's talk a bit about uh, some of his books. Uh, I just want to, here we go, loading it up. Uh, he's written books like The Piper's Graveyard, um, he's written books like They Cling to the Hull. Dude, what a cool cover on that book. We Hide Our Faces. Boom. Um, he also has uh, a great book called I Found Puppets Living in My Apartment Walls, <laughs> which I'm excited to hear about and understand. Um, so yeah, dude, I I'm excited. Today's episode's a good one. It's all horror. It's all about writing horror. It's all about... Um, you know, how to get into it. It's all about how to stay inspired while you're doing it. And uh, it's all about the stuff that scares us, man. So strap yourselves in for the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Hey, Ben. Thanks for being on the show. How are you, bud? Hi. Thanks for having me. Doing great. I'm excited to uh, to chat with you, my man. Um, I stumbled across your work recently because uh, I was just looking for something new to read, hunting through uh, a bunch of different horror books, and the one that got me was uh, It Waits at the Top Floor. Like that, oh, that story is right up my alley. <laughs> and so I just, I just started it and I just, I, I'm listening to it on Audible right now. And um, I was like, well, I got to get this guy in the show while I'm doing this because I want to know. I want to know where yeah. he comes from, you know? Great. Yeah. That's, that surprises me, actually. That's my um, newer series of novellas outsells. I mean, it's probably got 50 times the readership is. The trilogy that starts with it waits on the top floor. So yeah, that's that's um <laughs> that's cool to hear. Although I did watch your short films earlier today, and so that that, that makes sense to me that yeah. <laughs> it waits on the top floor would click with you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of Lovecraftian uh, blood, I think, running through. So yeah, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, and, and like the, the 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 hook is there, man. Like uh, a skyscraper shows up out of nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. and then you get me where she's like, uh, you know, you hire a team to reverse engineer the construction. Yup, hiring a team, sending a team in. Yup, I'm in on that. So yeah. like, it's all the ingredients for what could be, you know, a, uh, a a sweet film or even a sweet miniseries from the late '80s is what it feels like to me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got that vibe to it for sure i'm excited dude well um let's talk about you first let's talk about you man like uh, when did you decide that you wanted to to write what like why out of all the art mediums is writing your your way of expressing yourself man i don't know you know i started i can remember writing stories when i was a little kid um it's just it's so accessible i think is that you can just you, all you need is a pen and a paper and you can sit down and start doing it. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I was writing, yeah, like as a kid I was writing superhero stories, you know, writing about Batman and Spider-Man teaming up, things like that. Oh, is that how you started? <laughs> yeah. You know, in like first grade or something. Yeah. I mean, I was the same yeah. way, dude. I was like, I was the other angle cause I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. So I was just copying and tracing all my comic books from that time period. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just turned off my phone. <laughs> Apologize for that. Oh, no worries. Um, I didn't know if I lost you there. <laughs> it was like this. No, I'm still here. I just, <laughs> it was an I awkward pause after I share something from my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I had a work message appear and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Whatever. It's not 90 minutes urgent. Um, yeah, so I mean, I kept, you know, kept writing here and there and then in high school. I got really into it, won some contests. So with that kind of positive feedback, you lean into it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, once I got to college, I just took all the creative writing classes I could. I took um, a few classes from David Robbins, who, big World War II novelist. and Oh, cool. Um, he really encouraged me. And I just, I ran from there. I did an MFA a few years after college, done a few workshops with different publishers. Mm-hmm. 
different conventions. Now was and, was um, was all that was all that to just find your confidence, or was out were you were you looking for specific techniques, or did you did, was it just to stay uh, motivated? Like why were you why were you doing all that stuff? It, or was it just to learn the craft more? Yeah, I mean, at different points in my life, my career, I would say different and different goals. You know, at some points, I was like, it was one hundred percent about the business. Okay, let me make the connections to try to sell books. Right. But a lot of times, it was oh, like oh, I've got a chance to take a, a seminar from Ellen Datlow, who's one of the biggest editors in in, in horror. Mm. So I you know, flew across the country to do that because I just wanted her feedback on one of my stories. I just wanted to see what she would say and oh, right. excuse me, see what I could learn from her. Right. Right. Um, and how was that experience? How did that go for you? Um, that specific one, that was pretty good. You know, she's, she's an interesting person. She's a great person to learn from. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I actually, I had a short story that I wanted that I'd taken to a bunch of workshops and I was like, Oh, that's what I'll take to this one. And then two weeks ahead of time, I was like, this thing has been workshopped to death. You know, she's just going to tell me what I already know about it that I haven't fixed yet. <laughs> So in the last week or two, I wrote a new story and I was like, I was sick when I was doing it. It was, <laughs> it was the wrong decision because <laughs> she was just like, this doesn't work for all these reasons. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah. But overall it was a good, good experience. That's cool, man. That's cool. Um, all right. So then you, you, you're doing all this, like why horror? Like, why did you decide that horror was it? You know, I actually wrote the first novel I finished was Urban Fantasy. Um, and then, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, it was Epic Fantasy. It was like a, it was like some animal fantasy crossed with Seven Samurai kind of story. Oh, that's cool. And then I finished an Urban Fantasy, Towing the Line with Horror. And then I wrote a thriller where, um, some cat burglars decide they're going to give a pharma CEO an incurable disease. Hmm. Um, and I, and that book really showed me what I wanted to write because I thought it was a great idea for a thriller novel and I hated every second of writing it. Really? How come? I think I come to fiction in any medium for the wonder. Oh. So, I mean, I'll sit down and watch a thriller movie, sure, but like, I'm not going to sit down and read a thriller book very often. Like, I want strangeness. That's why I like the Lovecraftian side of horror. Yeah, um, you know, it's why I loved fantasy as a kid because all the stuff was new and wow, this is this is crazy. I want to learn about this. I want to get lost in this. And now today, it's why I like strange horror stories. It's why I like weird fantasy, like in the China Mieville, Jeff Vandermeer, um, yeah. or Clyde Barker. Sometimes, yeah, you get these like weird. Like it's fantasy, but it's not what you've seen before. So you get to get lost in this new world. Yeah, I dude, I agree with you completely. <clears throat> coming from coming from the the movie world or the film world, you know, whenever you talk about horror, horror is like horror is one of the the last genres that you know doesn't require you know superhero underpants and and a lineup of like you know forty fucking celebrities to yeah. actually make its money back and horror has become sort of this 
at least through the industry, it, it's been this search for a lottery ticket where they try to find the cheapest horror uh, story possible. And then, you know, suddenly it catches fire and you have paranormal activity or something. And, and then it goes from there. But my curiosity with horror has always been that discovery. It's like the thing that freaks me out more than anything else is being in a situation that I don't understand and I don't know all the rules and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and um, I like, I don't know where, what the fuck is up with the creature. Like one of the biggest notes that I get on whenever we come up with a, a new idea or a new movie idea, uh, we'll get executives going like, can we base this creature on something? Like, uh, can it be based on like a deity that pre like exists? And I go, why? Everybody knows the fucking rules. Like you want me to make it a fucking werewolf? Everybody knows the rules of a werewolf. How about I make it a creature that you don't know shit about? Cause that's twice as scary to me. Like, do you have no idea what the rules are? Is this thing going to shape shift and climb the ceiling? Or is this thing going to like, you know, crawl into my skin and transform me into it? I, I have no idea. And so then you're on a roller coaster ride with that, you know? Yeah. I really liked, um, the ritual, the Adam Neville story, yeah. um, Netflix movie a few years back Yeah, where you, you can watch that whole movie and not have a good idea of what the creature is. I mean, you get some like instruction about it's somehow related to Loki or something. I don't know. But like in terms of like visually what it is and what it wants to do to you is like, it's changing. Somebody told me that they had like four different set or creature designs. So it is always kind of changing. So you never get a full glimpse of it. Yeah. It's super cool, man. Or (laughs) steady glimpse of it. It's a great movie. It's for that reason. For that reason, it's a great movie. Because then you're just like, huh? And there's something nice about walking away at the end of a movie and not having the ability to put all those pieces together. Because you're just, then you're thinking about it over and over and over again. And you're like, what the fuck? How did that thing work? Because I I find that when you sit down, at least most people, when they sit down to watch a horror movie, what they try to do is make sense of it. They try to find a reason to remember that this isn't real. What I'm watching is a movie. And then as I go through this and I see the creature on screen for too long, I don't buy it. That's a guy in a suit. You know, that CGI looks like shit. There's something. Okay, great. I feel safe again, you know? And so I I like going off into sort of the cosmic horror territory because it's very rare that it gives you an opportunity to feel safe because you're not necessarily seeing everything, you know? It leaves, it leaves the story um, surprising until the end. I recently read a book where I was on board. We had like a weird monster folklore kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, excuse me, you know, two thirds of the way through, we know everything about the monster there is to know. And it's just survival after that. And, you know, it was well written enough that I did finish it, but, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of disappointing. You know, I want to sit there with my book or my movie comic book, whatever, to the end of the story and have questions. I want to not know what's going to happen because as soon as it's just survival, then we know all the tropes. Yep. We know the different directions it can go. It's not, it can be exciting, but it's not going to be kind of deeply interesting, deeply, like it loses that sense of wonder is what it is. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it, man. Because I always, when people ask me like, what kind of horror do you like? I always say adventure horror because for, for me, Adventure horror means that it doesn't all take place in one fucking house. Like it doesn't all take place in like one single location. Like there are multiple characters that are going to come in and out of it. There's just like every act has something uh, new and strange and confusing and exciting. Like that to me is, is a good horror movie. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> I can see why I wanted to read this book. Um, <laughs> so, I, here's a funny. Here's a funny question. the The general consensus that I get from most people, whether you're talking to a uh, a writer of horror or a director of horror, is that you know most people think that we're fucking crazy people. <laughs> because of that uh so how many uh how many dead bodies do you have in your basement <laughs> i'll tell you what my crawl space is only like 18 inches high so so you gotta cut them up you gotta, cut, you gotta cut them up real small then to fit them in. <laughs> yeah. they go to trial. It's terrible. Uh, I, I think it's surprising to people when they actually meet folks that work on horror stuff and how well adjusted <laughs> yes. and uh, how very nice they are. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I am into horror, so <laughs> I guess, I mean, I definitely get that though. I get the, you know, a friend introduces me to a friend who they've already talked me up to. And there's always that look of confusion when I'm, you know, clean cut guy and a polo shirt or something um and they're like oh okay it's, it's and it's probably because you're just exercising your demons every time you sit down and write you know what i mean <laughs> yeah really <laughs> my wife recently asked me she said when you run out of like childhood traumas what are you going to write about <laughs> i don't know i'll just start recycling <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <clears throat> well is that a big source of inspiration for you is like uh, dealing what you went through when you were a kid? Um, sometimes. I mean, it wasn't, nothing was too traumatic in my childhood. Just sort of thinking about stressors that started then and stayed forever. Mm. Um, but you do, like if you were to read my books, all the books I've written in like chronological order, mm -hmm. um, you would just see like themes of what I'm struggling with emotionally at the time. Mm -hmm. So like one of my books is the main character like lives off grid, but in the city and is self-employed and is trying to avoid being part of society. And at the time I was like, I don't want a full-time job. I was, you know, 20 something and recently graduated from college and trying to figure out what to do and being told, you know, go find a desk to sit at. And mm -hmm. oh, I didn't want to do that. Did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's what the character was kind of dealing with and then now i'm so i'm 36 now i've got a few i got three kids the oldest is five nice. so my last few books have been about have been a lot about childhood because i'm thinking about like okay how do i raise my kids without traumatizing them <laughs> I raise my kids to be confident <laughs> and not have the insecurities that i do and things like that i mean so especially my last three books you can see the start of it in the one you're reading, and it waits on the top floor. I wrote that when I had when my son was a newborn. My oh. oldest son was a newborn, cool. um, so I had thoughts yet, but no no real experiences. Um, and now my my more recent three novellas, you can see very very heavy themes of of um, of nostalgia for childhood and of trying to raise your children correctly and of yeah. children needing help where they are and not getting it. Um, uh, that's cool, man. <clears throat> I mean, it makes sense, right? Because I find that even if I'm doing this with a film or whatever project it is that I'm working on, like uh, it requires, these things require so much from us personally. It requires so much of our perspective as human beings to be put into them. And, uh, you know, it makes sense that wherever you are in that moment, 
what you're going through is definitely sort of seeping into the work. Like, um, I, I, I know I can go back and look at all my films and my latest film is very much reminiscent of what I was going through at that time period too. So, um, I think that's the, the, the job of an artist, um, at least to himself or herself is to be, uh, you know, working through their own problems with their work as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I just, I selfishly do it. <laughs> There's a piece of me that's like, I don't give a fuck what the audience thinks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I have an opportunity to figure this out. I'm going to flush this out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done that for sure. I think for me personally, well, for one, it's easier to write that way. Mm-hmm. Like my newest, my work in progress right now is um, like the main emotional core problem before the horror starts is like an elderly couple whose adult daughter is moving to a different city and they've invited her they've she's invited them to move along with her but and but they're resistant because they don't want to move on to that next step of life they want to still be the the people who direct the family Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's harder to write about than to write about like you know (laughs) 36 year old nostalgia for childhood because I'm having to put myself in someone else's um, someone else's viewpoint. Um, well, okay, so that's interesting, right? Because that's a tricky thing. So, are you doing a lot of research to put yourself into that viewpoint? Are you just, you know, going internally and sort of imagining and assuming how that person would feel? Like, how are you finding a character's voice that really isn't isn't your voice to a certain extent? Well, in this case, um, this is going to be a weird thing to say, but. I probably spent more time in that mindset than than any other 36-year-old male writer. Because uh, so my my day job for the last 10 years has been marketing for a health company. Oh, interesting. And that, that's who I write to. So I, for this one, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this like avatar in my head who I who I write to, who I know all, I've become familiar with how the aging body and mind frustrates you, uh-huh. um, how you, how it affects your relationships, especially with your adult children. Um, I've marketed these people so much um, and spent so much time writing video scripts and things <sighs> that I was like, I'm going to write a story where this is the emotional problem, where this is the, where the, I still want to be in charge. And I don't mean that negatively at all. I mean, that's a, no, I'm no, sure no. I, will, I will feel that way in, in 30 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, no. Right. Because that's a big part. That's something that scares the shit out of me, man. And that's something that like, I think it's in some of my stuff for sure. It's just the idea of as you get older, <clears throat> you start to lose control of yourself physically and you start to lose control of yourself mentally. And, uh, there's nothing scarier than being locked in a in a vessel that uh you you know you're starting to you know second guess and <clears throat> i i mean i went through that experience when i had my head my when i had the head injury that essentially inspired 12 cam where i you know mm-hmm. cracked my skull and ended up with a hematoma and then i was in intensive care and i started to have these really crazy hallucinations and then i was firmly believing that my inner voice wasn't my own inner voice and it was someone else that was speaking to me and that was the inspirations behind that movie but um that kind of shit scares the fuck out of me and so 
you know, I when I was younger, I lived with my grandfather. Of course, someone rings the fucking doorbell. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second, buddy. <laughs> All right. So when I was younger, <clears throat> I spent some time living with my grandfather and he was in his 80s and he was going through all that stuff. And I, I watched that frustration that he had where his kids started to uh, not believe that he could take care of himself. You know what I mean? And so then he was just like, in his head, he, he would say this to me all the time. In my head, I'm still 20 years old, um, but physically I'm not. So uh, it was incredibly frustrating for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's a cool angle on that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's gonna require several drafts to get it get it right, but but it's kinda long. So how does so how does this stuff work for you as far as coming up with ideas? Are you someone that's <clears throat> you know, keeping a journal or keeping uh track of, of stuff as as you witness it in life, as you feel in life, or are you someone that goes, It's time to write a new book and you sit down in front of like a blank fucking computer screen and then try to puke stuff out? Like what's what's your process? I mean the process is different with every book. I mean I do I finish one and I start the next one. There's no like waiting for the muse or anything. Um or the muse has just sung enough, you know, I've got I actually opened it up the other day, my folder, my note folder of story ideas mm. that I've been adding to for a few years after I switched over from Evernote to Apple Notes. And now just in Apple Notes, it's like 200 some entries or something. Um, and a few of them will just be little scene ideas or little interesting ways of looking at something. But most of them are premises, premises. Yeah. That and that's that's the kind of thing where like you're at the coffee shop or you're you're at work and you're and you just randomly think of something or you see something and you go oh fuck that's really cool right yeah um, yeah I don't know I mean one way I've come up with ideas I forget where I read it some some old book about writing said to halfway through a story guess how it's going to end. And then if it doesn't end that way, then you can go back and add a beginning to the, your new story idea. And hmm. I've, I've done that. So I find myself just doing that when I'm watching movies, especially horror movies. You're like, oh, what's it going to be? I bet it's going to be this. And then it's not that. You're like, all right, well, then what I thought it was is going to go in my idea book. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. yes. But those, I mean, th those ideas have kind of been few... I don't know if I've ever actually sat down and written one of those. I don't know if they've ever been good enough. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, I do. My best ideas start as a little germ of something. Like I have a novella called, I found a circus tent in the woods behind my house. <laughs> and it, it started as it started from the title. Well, it started with the, the image. I was trying to think of haunted house books because haunted houses sell. Yeah. And um, so this list of, but I want to do something weird and unique, you know, I'm talking about how I need to, I need wonder, I need something new. Um, but somewhere in that list of strange haunted house ideas, I just was like, what if you were walking through the woods and you came across, you know, red and yellow circus tent <laughs> in the woods there. And I didn't realize this until I published the book and somebody actually every day, one of my Facebook ads, people inform me that, um, 
I'm remembering the scene from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and that person's over the age of 50. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, but regardless, I didn't, you know, I wasn't reminded of that until after I wrote and published the book. <laughs> but so it started with that, ju- that just image. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about, I was in the middle of a, uh, I think it was trying to write a haunted house book. Woke up one morning and the title, the whole title jumped into my head. And I just rolled over to my wife and was like, can I name a book? I found a circus tent in the woods behind my house. <laughs> he says, you can do whatever you set your mind to. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, it's kind of, it's become a whole series now of, of book of, I found horror books. And um, that's cool, dude. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, it's it's that's been working out. Those have been reaching a lot of readers. Um, well, it, see, the nuggets, the like the coming up with the nuggets is such an interesting thing because I find myself, if I put myself in the mode, which is usually stimulated by fear, right? So, like I or or frustration, where I'll sit there and go, like, I need to do something. I need to do something. What the fuck are you doing with your life? You know what I mean? Like, typically, I have this anxiety that's constantly running in the back of my head where it's like, what have I done today? Have I done enough today? What the fuck? And I'm trying to get over that as I push into my mid forties. Um, but it's still difficult. And I find that if I sit down with that mindset, everything I come up with is trash, you know, and it's forced and I'm trying to write things down. Um, and it's usually for me, it's usually at night when I am trying to go to sleep or I have something happening, an idea will pop into my head or some sort of visual pop into my head or a line will pop into my head. And then the times that they've been good, it just keeps going where I'll sit there and go, ah, it's a cool idea. I'm going to go to sleep. And then the idea starts to morph and I go, okay, this is becoming something else. And then it continues and I go, all right. (laughs) So I'm sort of begrudgingly sitting there going, are you going to continue? And it continues. And then I go, well, I have to get up now because if I don't write this down, I'm going to kill myself for forgetting this thing. And so then I'm usually up for like two, three hours, which is, uh, you know, just chicken scratching my way through whatever's coming out of my face. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, is it the same kind of thing for you? <laughs> um, no, I'll write down the idea and then I'll go back to sleep. See, you're, you're uh, a better man than I am. <laughs> Less tortured, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the idea is not really the hard part for me, or at least it wasn't until I started like kind of shifting my mindset of like making this a business, mm-hmm. you know, as I was, um, as I shifted from sending manuscripts into the void of New York mm-hmm. and towards, towards indie publishing and, um, using my marketing skills for my own books and kind of learning the genre a little better, becoming really familiar with it and what people are buying and what sells and what they want to read. That it's sort of now, what I choose to write out of my ideas is heavily like, okay, is there a market for this? Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm-hmm. is this a trope that people want to read? So I almost, I give myself a form almost to write a structure to like generate the ideas or mm-hmm. to, to morph, to take and transform one of my ideas that I'm excited about and fit it into something that lots of people want to read already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is like that I brought up? 
Sorry. Go, Go ahead. Keep going. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, like, I brought up haunted houses, which I still haven't read a haunted house book, but I will someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I take these like ideas of, I don't know, of um, um, I've had this idea of wanting to write like folk horror, haunted house, something with dealing with the past, mm-hmm. but like Satanist, exorcist horror, but crossed with like trickster, almost evil Irish fairy horror. Hmm. Um, and kind of blend them together where the, the evil goings on that we have to learn to understand and then survive are, aren't playing by the rules because it's, it's this blend of, of like malicious evil and I love hard that. to understand motivations like, yeah, I love like that. the fairies. Um, and so I took that idea and was like, well, I could put that in a house or I could put that in a house inside of a hedge maze. And then that, so I've got, you know, half a novel written about that. Um, very cool. Very cool. And so I find like with, with poetry, right? If you write with structure, then it, it motivates creativity in, in new, new ways. And I'm, I, I'm finding the same with trying to write books that fit within the tropes and subgenres that, that are popular. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it's motivating creativity in the same way. And I say that, but then if you actually look at my, my catalog, <laughs> I haven't finished any of those books yet. <laughs> the ones I've been putting out are the I found I found puppets in my walls. I found a circus tent in the woods. All right, gang, it's time to take a hot second and thank a few of the sponsors that are supporting today's episode. Um, first up, our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market to buy a computer, if you're looking for an edit system, if you're looking for a brand new gaming system, by the way, uh, my buddy Mike Tran bought me the newest uh, version, the update of the, uh, oh God, it just went right out of my head. What the hell is the name of the fucking cyberpunk game? Oh, it just went right out of my head. It's cyberpunk. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. There's a new update. So this game came out a while ago uh, and I played it and uh, this was when it was first released and everybody was bitching because it looked like shit on the consoles. But I ran it on my Puget system and it looked killer. (laughs) So I was one of the few that when this game first came out, there really wasn't any glitches because of my Puget system, by the way. And uh, I loved it. Playing, playing through with this game, the lighting was amazing, the characters were amazing. Uh, I had a lot of fun with the storyline and um, Keanu Reeves was the star for the first one. Now, apparently they updated the whole game and put out a whole new story, a whole new section of the game uh, with Idris Elba as the lead uh, in that section. Um, and it's supposed to be pretty rad and Mike got me this, uh, for Christmas and I haven't opened it or played it yet because I'm trying to get things done. <laughs> I'm trying to get my movie shit off and running. And if I start playing fucking cyberpunk, your boy will be off the grid. <clears throat> and I was already off the grid with COVID. So I don't want to be off the grid with cyberpunk. You know what I mean? But uh, because of my Puget system, I know it's going to look so good. <laughs> I know it's going to look so good. And I know Puget has me advertising them for edit systems and for you know, if you're looking for a graphic design system or if you're looking for 
uh, a system to run Unreal and to be building backgrounds and doing all that stuff. I mean, their PCs are so powerful. They're so fucking cool. But the truth of the matter is uh, they're also amazing PCs for gaming, like amazing PCs for game. I mean, these are the same kind of computers that the gamers or the companies use to build these games. So one would assume that these games would run flawless on these computers, and they do. So if you're someone that just wants to get into uh, a better gaming situation, maybe you're tired of how ridiculously expensive consoles are and how limited they are as far as graphics are concerned, uh, go check out Puget Systems. Uh, head on over to PugetSystems.com. I don't know if they have a section on their website for gaming, but I think if you told them specifically that you wanted to build a monster gaming machine, uh, they would hook you up. And can you imagine what that would be if you actually said to them, can you build me a monster gaming system? Because I know a lot of the guys over there at that company and they're nerds. So I'm sure that they would just jump out of their chairs to do that for you. <laughs> um, so go to PugetSystems.com and check it out. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Blackmagic, Blackmagic Design. Uh, not only do they make amazing cameras, but Blackmagic is also responsible for DaVinci Resolve, which across the board is the color grading software that everybody's using and has now become steadily the editing software that everybody's using. They have amazing um, AI uh, tools in there for syncing and for binning and for labeling, which really makes your life easier as an editor. Um, and not to mention the fact that it's all encompassed within the same software that you're going to be using to color grade stuff. I am slowly making the transition to make that easier, especially when I'm working with genome projects where we never have enough time to do the color grade. And so it's kind of a pain in the ass conforming out of Premiere and then in to Resolve and then out and then in. It's kind of a fucking pain in the balls. So uh, yeah, I'm making the jump um, and the dudes over Black Magic Design. Uh, love the show, love us, have been a, uh, a supporter of mine for years. My buddy Terry over there has been a supporter of mine for years. Um, and uh, they are jumping on for this year to sponsor this show. So big shout out to Blackmagic Design. If you guys are in the market for a new camera, I have their newest large format uh, 6K Pro, which is exciting. Um, and then I've been using their, their 6K Pro now for over a year. So I did inserts on Come Home. I just did inserts in a couple of projects that I did that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, <clears throat> and um, I love the camera. I love this company. They're a great company. Uh, I'm excited to have them on as a sponsor for the show. Hell yeah, guys. Um, all of my other sponsors are still with us. We're just in a transition mode right now. I'm waiting. Honestly, I'm waiting for the checks to come in, boys. I told you I'd, I'd hold off until the checks came in. You know what I mean? Like the sponsor money's got to come in, fellas. Um, but uh, they're all going to be here, so don't worry. But uh, the benefit to you is today's episode's ad reads will be much shorter. You know what I mean? But before I go, I want to remind you on Thursdays, brand new podcast here in Love of the Process Podcast Network, I guess. Now that we're a podcast network, um, we have three shows in Love with the Process. As you know, you're listening to it. Duh. Uh, we also do Love Sandwiches. On occasion, we'll do love sandwich episodes, which I will be recording more of those as we pursue into the new year, because I know a lot of you are fans of our love sandwich segments. And our newest show with my brother from another mother, Lance A. Williams, and I have a show called Right Place, Right Time. We dropped the first episode and we got instantly, 
I mean, within the first morning, we got all sorts of positive feedback from all of our listeners and all of our fans. People love the way Lance and I are. Our chemistry is, and <clears throat> it's, the tr- it's real. <laughs> We've been buddies for quite some time. We both come from the same sort of sarcasm world. Uh, we're both East Coasters at heart. Um, and so anything and everything that you love about this show is in that show, but with just two dudes. And it's just, it, it's, a, it's a fun format. It's a really fun format um, with great, unbelievable stories from our guests that come on the show because it's it's all hyper-focused on a right place, right time story, a right place, right time moment. And then the results of that, the repercussions of that, it's solid, man. I'm excited about the show. We've already laid down at least, we're, we're pushing 10 episodes at this point. Uh, so there's plenty that are stocked up in the queue. Um, so I'm excited about it. If you guys want more information on the show, if you want more information on this show, if you want supplemental material, when you listen to these episodes, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There, we're, re- we're reformatting that website to make it an experience for you. So if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com right now, I'm doing it right now with you, you'll see uh, we have the ILWP podcast, which is this show, and that's broken down into categories. So we like to break it down into categories that make it easy for you if you're a newcomer. So there's like actors, cinematographers, comic book artists, experience, experiences, photographers, post-production producers, directors. It's all there listed under ILWP podcast. Next to that, you'll see a selection for RPRT podcast. RPRT is right place, right time. Um, you could read about me and Lance and the episodes are up there. Then you'll see a section for Love Sandwich, which uh, puts up all of our Love Sandwich episodes and recipes and chef stuff. Really cool shit. Then we have a selection for special series. And in the special series spot, you'll find our Fujifilm Creator Series. You'll find the Film Quest Film Festival Series, our shows on horror. I did a COVID-19 miniseries, California Wildfire Series. Um, and our best of selections that's in our special series and yes the super fan selection is still up there you can sign up to be a super fan at a loveoftheprocess.com and uh, you'll get access to all sorts of really cool stuff you'll get invites in the future for special screenings uh, etc etc and most importantly the store is up there where you can buy a lot of our new merch. We'll be putting new merch together. We're trying to get everything in, in line right now. If you're someone that has bought merch and you're waiting for it, bear with me. It's just been a crazy start of the year. Uh, so we're trying to get everything in line. Okay. So uh, in love with the process.com is the place to go for all of our podcast series, for all of our cool stuff. All right. So that's it, man. What an easy little ad read today. Let's get back to the show.
same kind of vibe with me. So when I did the first big one, which was 12KM, which no yeah. one no one asked for. So that one, that one, the Russian drill team, 1980s, everybody listens to the show, they know it. Um, that one yeah. uh, ended up getting me representation. And that one got me into the rooms of all the biggest production companies out there and essentially got me in the room with Ridley Scott's company and they're producing it and I'm directing hopefully at some point. So that one <clears throat> did really well. But at that time period, I was also jumping through all these other production companies and studios. And I was meeting with, you know, dudes that make movies about guys with chainsaw arms. I was meeting with people that made movies about, you know, haunted dolls and conjurings and all that kind of shit. And I was in a specific office and they, they send you out on these meetings they call general meetings, which is just for you to go and be introduced and meet these folks so that they know you're there and maybe there's some sort of connection. Okay, great. So I was in, um, I'll just say it because I've, I've worked with them. So I was in James Wan's company, so Atomic Monster, and we were oh. talking about 12KM and they thought it was really cool and they liked it and they were interested in it, but it really didn't fit their formula. And so I was looking around at all the posters on the wall and I was like, well, you guys quite obviously have a fucking formula. Can you tell me what your formula is? And so we went through the process of discussing it and they gave me basically what was their rules for their films. And they, they had a set of rules that they needed to have it done. And I went, ah, it's fascinating. All right, cool. <clears throat> and so when I went back home, I uh, talked with my screenwriter that I work with all the time and I said, hey, let's just do a fucking exercise. Can we write something that fits in this formula. And uh, if it's great, we'll make it. If not, who gives a shit? We just wasted a little bit of time on it. Okay. So we did, and we hard hustled. And then that's where our film, Who's There, came from. And that's where the film Come Home came from, was that formula. And it was we found it so inspiring that we wrote the short script for that. A month later, I was in production and shooting that. And a month after that, we had the film finished. So it actually went through three months and then that movie actually got more traction than 12 cam got because we were playing in that formula um uh and so for that specific project that was very useful for us but then after that project you also fall into this territory that i think so many young horror directors and short film directors that are trying to get their movies greenlit right now all fall into the same fucking formula which is like how do i do a lights out movie is there an idea where I could turn the lights on and turn the lights off and there's a creature there? And there are just thousands and thousands of filmmakers trying and, be and beating the shit out of that specific formula right now that it just feels restrictive and uncreative. And I think the most successful out of that bunch was that recent swimming pool movie that just came out. And oh, was that a short film? I haven't seen it. That was a short film. And then that feature came out and that feature is restricted you know what i mean when you watch it you go uh you know what I, mean? so, I haven't watched it yet but the preview didn't excite me yeah, but that's the result of that mindset that uh -huh. mindset of like i need to sort of build this within this sort of structure um and so i don't know man i i bring it up because it's a double-edged sword i think that it was very successful for one thing that i did but even that movie didn't go all the way to the feature game yet and then yeah. i've seen all these other guys sort of trying to play in that game so and these days now I'm I'm going back to like what you go back to where I'm like, I got this fucking wacky idea and I, I want to go do this wacky idea because it excites me. Who gives a fuck if it's sellable? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, 
so my recent books have been exactly that have been like circus tent not so much but then so my biggest book you know by far is um I found puppets living in my apartment walls. Yeah, that's cool, man. <laughs> and it's essentially like the grandson of one of the puppeteers from a show that's that's like Sesame Street moves into his grandpa's old apartment after his grandpa's gone missing. Also, this apartment is the like decommissioned children's television studio. Oh. Um, and so he follow he wakes the story starts with um you know, I woke to a blue furry puppet standing over my bed. And then he watches his puppet slip into the wall. And so the next morning with his cousin, once he determines he wasn't having a nightmare, they go into the walls after, after this um, puppet. And he's looking <laughs> for his grandpa who's been missing. And he's like, is it possible he's still alive after all this time? Um, and it's because I have like a mup, I have a phobia of like Jim Henson Muppets, like a mild one. I still like the movies, but like they're creepy as hell. And so I was like, I'm going to make this. I finally, I had a nightmare about it again. It was like my first nightmare as a kid. And then last year sometime I dreamed that Cookie Monster was standing in my closet staring at me while I was in bed. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm writing this. And I set aside what I was working on and I wrote this novella in a month or two. Um, and it's the, everyone asks, is this comedy? Like, no, no, it's a silly idea and it's taken 100% seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's super cool, man. I, there's a clip circulating right now. I'm sure you may have seen it. There's a clip online with Larry David, who's promoting his new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he assaults Lots of people are tagging me in there. <laughs> yeah, he's assaulting Elmo. Elmo. <laughs> 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 it's really funny. Um, that's cool, man. That's a great idea. And it's based upon your fear. That's cool. That's really cool. You know, I think, I think it's important to, to kind of, when you're doing hard to, to try to tap into, if it's not your own fear, then the fear of someone that you're really close to, because all those details, you know, how you feel when you're seeing something that scares you, what your mouth tastes like when you're, you know, in a situation that is freaking you the fuck out. Like all those details are incredibly important, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ones you like narrow in on that are the scary part. The way the the puppets walk, that kind of like hopping, hopping motion, just scared the hell out of me in my dreams. And so <laughs> I put that in the book quite a bit. How weird it was. <laughs> yeah, it's also weird that there's like two or three fucking like sweaty, probably overweight dudes underneath the floor, also with their hands up the ass of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> you know, trying to make it hop towards this kid who's trying to ignore, like a five-year-old that's trying to ignore the fact that there are like three adults on the floor underneath that stage. <coughs> it's funny, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be the second read for you, from me, that I'll read from you. Uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited that I stumbled across your work, man. I'm pumped, you know? Yeah, thanks. So... So you have a full-time job and you do this, right? Was that right. a come to Jesus where you realize that, uh, you know, being an author isn't a payday <laughs> for most people? Um, yeah. So like I finished undergrad and the plan was always to go get an MFA and then teach creative writing. Mm -hmm. um, but I got rejected from all the MFA programs I applied to the first time. Mm. And, um, 
And then when I did get into an MFA program a few years later, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want this job. <laughs> like <laughs> I enjoyed the MFA, enjoyed the hell out of it. But like, I didn't want to teach that sort of creative writing. Like I'm very interested in strange ideas and um, kind of exciting emotional stories yeah. more so than, than some other things. Um, so there was like a structure that came with that gig that you didn't want to go by, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of the, uh, well, you know, part of it was by then I'd already started uh, as a copywriter for mm-hmm. marketing firms. And mm-hmm. um, part of it was like I looked around the MFA program and I realized like the only people going on to a PhD are like the absolute best of us, like the best scholars here. Mm-hmm. I was like, or I could stick with my my side job become the absolute best in that and make bank <laughs> like they, <laughs> it's, it's not just be the best to get any job it's be the best and get you know to live comfortably yeah um, and it hasn't 100 percent worked out but it's been nice it's i've been able to um set my schedule such that i have plenty of time to write that i've got time with my kids and stuff um, well there were there are other benefits too i mean i <clears throat> I've been I've been asked multiple times like hey why you know you could you teach people a lot with your podcast maybe you should start doing uh courses and instruction courses and I've had a lot of listeners of the show say like we would totally buy film courses from you and do that kind of thing and I'm like I don't want to be a fucking teacher man cuz I feel like if I'm just a teacher and I'm putting all my energy into teaching there's a lot of learning that I'll do by regurgitating what I already know and also learning from students, yes, but there's a hell of a lot more learning that I'll do when I'm out in the world and I'm out there doing jobs with strangers or I'm out there engaging with folks that have stories to tell. I mean, it's a prime example. You saying that you were going to write a book based upon all these people that you were marketing to um, through your other job. You know, I, I... I, I sometimes feel, and this is going to be me being very snarky, but I sometimes feel that when, especially in film schools, which I think often are ripoffs, but I, I sometimes feel that the professors there, I'm always like, how long did you work in the fucking job? Oh, you didn't though. So then why the fuck are you teaching? Why are you teaching me it then? You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a controversial statement, but um, I'm just saying that you probably made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw some of that in you know the publishing world as I was going to all these conferences and conventions and meeting with agents and um, kind of realizing like, oh, literary agents are, they get this job because, first of all, you have to be able to afford to work for free in New York City for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And then you can have the job. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's... Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, <laughs> or like hearing all these agents talk to each other and then have a few friends who were in the industry for a while and they're saying, yeah, I pull maybe 10% of my clients from slush. Most are recommendations and not, a, not every agent. I heard other agents say the opposite, but the majority that I heard was it's all, it's all recommendations. Yeah. And you, you start listening to these people giving these seminars and people running these workshops and you're like, you're published because you had a, a idea that will sell well and it did sell well. That doesn't mean your like story structure that you used is applicable to other people or even, you know, good. So yeah. it's yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, that's the business all the way around, right? That's oh, the business yeah. of entertainment. Business. Yeah, yeah, man. It's, it's like you have the people that are making things right. You have the people that, 
spend every waking hour of their fucking day, like learning the craft, learning their skills, studying people, learning their voice, practice, 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 right? And you do your 10,000 hours, whether you're writing or whether you're making a movie, you do that time that's ne- that's a necessity to find your voice and confidence to be able to continue to do that kind of thing. So that's a group of those folks. Then you have the other folks that are like, I'm going to make money. <laughs> and so they get into the the leveraging side of things, where they get into what one would even call the gatekeeping side of things, where they leverage themselves in between the creatives, the people that spend so much time learning the craft and the tools, and they spend uh, not enough time learning how to uh, do the business side of things or Oftentimes, so many of us are like little Tim Burton's where (laughs) we're like, I'm in my own little closet and I don't know how to communicate with people. So a lot of them don't even know how to talk to people. And so then you have these folks, agents, managers, talent people, you know, reps that leverage themselves between you and the money and they go, what's your idea? So then you're pitching first to them, not even to the money people. And then they sit there and go, well, this is going to be hard to sell. You know what I mean? Or they'll go, oh, fuck, that's a great idea. Lottery ticket. Let's go do it. You know? And so then because they exist in that space, it all, it seems like the only steps to success are, I need to come up with the dumbest, stupidest, easy to sell fucking idea just to get past this stage to the money people. You know? I don't know. It's be me very cynical on that, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. My big switch from throwing my throwing myself against New York to saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to really lean into self-publishing now was one of the big things was a rejection letter from an agent saying everything he liked about it, but because of demographic kicks with characters and me and this, whatever, he said, I can't sell that. Um, and finally I'm like, I've spent the last you know eight years in my day job selling things. I'm like, you can't. So this is a good idea. I can sell this. Mm-hmm. And so I I, I did. Um, actually, not that one. But I started learning how to sell things. Um, that one didn't sell very well. <laughs> so you, so he's right. <laughs> yeah. So he's right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but by doing it myself, I then was like, okay, I can sell things. I don't need you to sell things. I don't need the publisher to sell things. I I can learn the market myself and learn what people want to read. And I've spent, you know, the better part of 20 years practicing the craft. I'm confident in the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes, you know, writing stories that people want to read and I don't need an agent to tell me if people want to read them or not. I can let the people tell me themselves. It's smart. It's smart, dude. It's smart. I mean, this is something that I learned with 12 Karam and, and the way I released it online, <clears throat> which, you know, I, I don't know if you had heard about it, but essentially the only way anybody could watch that movie, because it's not public, is that they have to write to me and tell me their three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with them, I'll send them a link. And the byproduct of that is that I have millions of emails from folks telling me what their three favorite horror movies are. And so at this point, I now have the demo. <laughs> like, so like when I go and I talk to studios and they're like, no, no one really wants that. I go, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about because I have email after email after email of how many people like specific types of movies and you guys yeah, but, are so distant oh, from it, you know? Dude, that's, I'm going to steal this idea from you. That's so good because it's, it's not just like 
a million random people's favorite movies. It's people who want to watch the movie that you've created based on your trailer, based on your tagline or premise or whatever. Yep. It's their favorite movies. Oh, that is, that is amazing information. I'm hundred percent going to do that with my books. <laughs> you should steal it, man, because yeah. it worked out so well. And then there's this sense of engagement. And especially when it comes to short films and films online, most most people just make them and they just dump them up on fucking YouTube for free mm-hmm. and there's no engagement whatsoever and there's nothing special about the the act of watching it. And so the process of them having to engage with you and you engage with them, and I'm not a dick about it. If someone spends the time and they write their three favorite horror movies, they're going to get a link. Um, yeah. But uh, what, what ends up happening is, is the experience becomes so much better and then the audience becomes so much more involved with you and your work and they appreciate it and they feel like they've been welcomed into like a speakeasy. And uh, it, yeah. it just becomes a much better thing than if I had just put 12 cam on fucking, it would have just got lost. A, a movie about a bunch of Russians and subtitled, it would have just been lost in the sea of shit. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Yeah, I, I turned it on today. I was like, oh, I'll, let me turn this on while I'm working on something. And it was subtitles. I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> <I didn't watch laughs> That's right, man. You got to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to at least watch it. I mean, I don't speak Russian. So I did that whole movie in a language I don't speak. And so I, the benefit of that is I kind of did it like a silent film. Um, and so if you watch that movie and you don't even read the subtitles, you'll know exactly what's happening and you'll understand everything because I designed it that way. <clears throat> the subtitles yeah. are kind of like the frosting on the cake for it. So yeah. you have to at least watch it. It's not like, you know, it's not Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. You can't just put it on in the background while you're doing your laundry, dude. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and you can tell i'm so old at this point because queer eye for the straight guy was the original show the new show is called queer Eye. <laughs> come on mike <laughs> and of course oh. hey i wouldn't have a podcast if my fucking landscapers didn't show up right in the middle of it hey here they are <laughs> um but anyway, this is uh, Ben. I'm so happy to to chat with you on this stuff, man. It seems like you and I are uh, kind of the same uh, the same kind of horror nerd, you know? Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, man. So yeah. I gotta I gotta ask then. You've seen Terrified? Yes, I have seen Terrified. Okay. Yes, not Terrifier, Terrified. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. That's I forget what you were saying earlier, but that jumped into my head. Where I was like, oh man. To make sure you've seen this movie, yeah, dude. I believe me, yes. There is a <laughs> list upon lists of movies that I'm trying to get through, and right now we have uh, a lot of like Indian fans from India. So, like, oh. uh, the, the movie went viral there, it went viral in uh, in Turkey as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I just have like these lists of Indian horror films that I haven't been able to. Get, get to yet and i'm just getting like ridiculed <laughs> right now <coughs> like tom bad and a bunch of these other movies that are supposedly really cool huh yeah i don't think i've watched much indian cinema at all yeah but i'm thinking yeah. of like watched several like turkish horror films and eastern asian horror films but i don't i can't think of anything from india that i've watched yeah exactly i was the same way before this hold on it's like my my landscaper's just like walking in here. 
my audience is used to this. This is like a reoccurring. He's like a side character. It's like Newman from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> he just knows. He like stands outside my window and revs his uh, his leaf blower and just glaring at me. Um, but yeah, there is uh, a whole list of them. And and the thing that's fascinating about it is that they're based upon, uh, that culture and that culture's beliefs. And they're sort of preying upon those beliefs with the horror tropes that I'm fascinated to see if they still translate to me that hasn't been raised and brought up that way. So I'm curious to see how that stuff translates, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's always interesting watching. I forget what movie it was. It's been ten years or something since I watched it, but um, it's like about a. It's an East Asian film. I don't remember which country it was from, but it's about like a washed-up action hero, mm. movie star, mm. and there's the the hopping vampires. You know, the ones that put their feet <laughs> together, they hop forward with their arms straight out. It's the silliest <laughs> looking thing, but like it's oh right, like no, this is terrifying. Like this is. That mean, if they're hopping like that, then that means that they're this sort of evil thing that's going to do this to me. And it's like, okay. Gotta, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen, so they hop like a bunny kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're Weird. like, a. they used them in like eighties video games a whole lot. I'm trying to think like old streets of rage games. Just, I don't remember, <laughs> but, um, that's I've the run point. into them before huh. in different media like that. And then I saw it in this movie, and it's you know it's taken one hundred percent seriously, or it's like the Daleks in um, Doctor Who, which are those trash can looking things. But if you watch enough Doctor Who, you're like, oh wait, no, these things are unstoppable. This is terrifying. Like, very weird. I'm looking it up while we're talking about it. What is this? The Jiangxi? It's from Chinese, known as a Chinese hopping vampire, is a type of reanimated corpse in Chinese legends and folklore. It is typically depicted as a stiff, stiff corpse dressed in official garments from the Qing dynasty, and it moves around hopping with its arms outstretched. If it kills living yeah. creatures to absorb their life force, usually at night, while during the day it rests in a coffin and hides in dark places such as caves. Oh, I've seen some like really cool, like really kind of... Um, <clears throat> I saw a trailer for a really kind of uh, grindhousey version of this uh, in Hong Kong. That's cool. That's rad. Hopping vampires. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in on that. Yeah. So you get these like, this is not scary at all. This is almost silly until you like immerse yourself in the in the culture of it where maybe it's even just learning the rules. Where you're like, oh no, this is scarier than death. This isn't going to kill me. This is going to devour my soul. Like, yeah, no, for sure, dude. There's a lot of that in movies in general. And I think, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) It's like he waits for me to talk. Get out of here, dude. Um, I think that the audiences today just have a lower threshold for that because everything is served up, especially with the advent of the streaming services. I think the negative side of that has been that uh, they do so much uh, algorithm searching. They do so much uh, examination of what people watch and what they like, and they really have built the most jam-packed cheeseburger content as possible. And so people have become accustomed to rhythms when they watch movies, the same way that you get a rhythm when you watch a baseball game. 
And mm-hmm. there's a comfortability that happens with that. And so when you start to fuck with the formula, you start to fuck with the format, whether it's pacing, whether it's <clears throat> the three-act structure, or uh, with specific rules about monsters, people uh, will pick up their phones, right? Because they're just not built to it. And what I try to explain to them is like, just stay with it. Like, go weird. If it's If it's a slow-paced movie, shut everything off lose yourself in that slow pacing because uh, a lot of directors do this well like nicholas Raffen does it well uh david lynch does it well what they do is they lure you in with almost this uh hypnotism what they do with uh slow pacing movies or very slow paced cut stuff and once you become lured into a lower heart rate just a, a slower pace then they can really fucking scare you <clears throat> because then they can ramp it up in very minor ways that would never really showcase if you were watching like, you know, fucking Fast and Furious. It wouldn't even register because your brain and your heart rate is running so fast. But these guys know that if they can get an audience to slow it down, there's so much more ceiling room for horror in there. Um, and so give it a chance to give it an opportunity. <clears throat> and so like yeah. reading, reading something like the hopping vampire, of course you'd sort of look at that and go, is that goofy? Is that not goofy? But if you can uh, give it the benefit of the doubt and lose yourself, suspend that or extend that suspension of disbelief, um, you might find some new scares in there and it might become your new favorite fucking horror movie. You never know. Yeah. It's cool stuff, dude. It's very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Um, yeah. Well, dude, I, look, I can talk to you for another hour and a half, but I should probably wrap this up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, ben, it's been great chatting with you, man. And I'm excited um, to continue reading this book. Uh, I cannot wait to hear about the adventure. It's sort of ascending this tower that shows up out of nowhere. I'm, I'm pumped, man. You have me in. And whoever did the uh, cover illustration that I'm looking at, which sort of has the red cover with the Cthulhu creature over the building, awesome work on that too. But. Yeah, it's an artist named uh, Pierluigi Abandonanza. This guy from Italy. So good. It looks like he painted it. Was that painted? Is that oil painted? It's it's digital paint, but... Yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, it's it's not like Photoshop. It's, um, I don't know what app, but it's it's painted digitally. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. cover, man. It's a beautiful book. I'm excited, dude. <clears throat> it was great to meet you, Ben. Yeah, you too. And uh, at some point, I'll have you back on the show when there isn't uh, a fucking leaf blower that is <laughs> <laughs> in the background. So professional here to love of the process. <laughs> um, but I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Great to talk. Right, episode in the can. So, before I do the wrap up, I, I, I don't even want to apologize for it. You know what you're getting into sometimes here on the show. Uh, I'm recording this on a Thursday because that's how things worked out, and it's been raining for over a week, and I've just been spoiled by the fact that it's been very quiet around here, <laughs> and I haven't had all these noises and distractions. And why would one would ask why my landscapers here after it's been raining so much it's not like there's a lot to cut down 
There's not a lot to cut down. I mean, it's all wet out there still, but he's here, man. He's here making his money. Um, and he continues to be an unannounced side character, uh, Newman, <laughs> on our podcast. So I hope you guys appreciate it. I hope you guys live through <laughs> our audio difficulties. And today was a great show. I really enjoyed Ben. I'm very excited about his books. Um, you can find his stuff on Amazon. Uh, you can go to his website, benfarthing.com. That's Ben F R. I'm sorry. That is Ben F A R T H I N G dot com. Benfarthing.com. Um, and uh, the book I'm listening to right now is It Waits on the Top Floor. Uh, and uh, you heard me uh, talk about why I'm into it. But if you need, I mean, here's some of the reviews. Reminds me of early Stephen King. Excuse me while I go cry from fear. <laughs> now one of my favorite horror books. Um, it's great that he's self-publishing this stuff and the books are so successful. So um, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I'm definitely keeping in touch with Ben um, because uh, it's really cool to know a really great horror writer. Um, <clears throat> thank you everybody for listening. And uh, don't forget to stick around Thursday. A uh, new episode of Right Place, Right Time is coming this week. Make sure you tune in. Make sure that you are subscribed. If you're a new listener, make sure you are subscribing to In Love With The Process uh, podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever sort of podcast outlet that you prefer. Mm, Tuesdays is um, ILWP and Thursdays is Right Place, Right Time. Um, so hope you guys are digging it. Hope you guys are liking the new content. Lots of fun stuff on the way, hopefully without, uh, leaf blowers, uh, in the future. And, uh, without further ado, I'm going to let you go, but, uh, thank you everybody for listening to the show and I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>